Amen. Amen. We know the word, word is powerful, and we've been discussing the last few weeks on the word and words. We've started talking about God's word and how powerful God's word is. And then we've talked about how we have that same power. And I'll go ahead and let you know right now, parents, um, I'm not going to be distracted one bit by your children. And I hope that you won't either. Um, they're not a distraction to me. I can talk over them. I'll go right through. Uh, they're not going to be an issue. I was a children's pastor, and so, you know, pretty much by that point, nothing phases you. But um, the Word of God is powerful, and uh, if you'll give your ear to what the Word uh, has to say today, it'll be powerful in your life. Uh, so we've been talking about words, and um, I want to wrap it up today, but today I want to wrap it up with the most powerful part of words, and that is obedience. Obedience. We've been talking about the power of words, and we know the word says in Ecclesiastes that where the word of the king is, there is power. Where the word of the king is, there is power. So regardless of what you're seeing the word do in your life, the word has power. So the title of my message today is not the power in words. The title of my message today is the words in power. And I want to talk to you about the environment of the word because just because the word isn't working in your life doesn't mean it doesn't have power. And I don't want us to just believe that God's words have power. I want us to actually see that power. Do you want to see the power? Do you want to see the power that God's word has in your life? Well, absolutely. Well, why aren't we seeing that? And so we've got to take a look at some things. The first thing that we have to understand is obeying God's word empowers your word. Obeying God's word empowers your words. We talked the past couple weeks about how you speak and what are you saying. We said even the first week that God gave us the ability by making us in his image and in his likeness to create our world with our words. To create your world with your words. What you're saying, whether you realize it or not, is creating the world around you. If you talk to most people that are depressed or anxious or, you know, in fear a lot, they're usually speaking things of, you know, anxious words or depression or fearful words. It's what's coming out of their mouth, and so they're creating that world. You know, negative people, part of the reason why they're so negative is because they all they talk about is negative stuff. And you don't want to be around that because now you've just entered their world by what they're saying, by, by simply what is coming out of their mouths. And we don't want to hear that. You don't want to be around that. So what do you want to get around people that are positive, that are speaking positive words, positive things are coming out of their mouth. Now they're creating a positive atmosphere, a positive environment, and you want to be around that. Why? Because you just entered into their world. How? Because you got around what they're saying. So our words uh, have power, but I'm going to tell you right now that your words have no power and no authority, like we've been talking about, if we're not obeying his. And I believe there's a lot of Christians that maybe even believe that they have authority in their words and have authority by what they say and can create their world, but they're not in alignment with God's word, and so their words are void. Their words do nothing. Well, we know God's word isn't that way. He said, I sent my word, and it will not return to me void. It will accomplish that which it was sent to do. That means that when God says something, he expects results. He says, every time I speak, it's going out to do something. See, we think that when we speak, the words just go out in the air, and they disappear, but they don't. They're out there doing stuff. Words are working. They're making something happen. They're creating something. They're doing something. And God's words are the same way. A lot of us, when we say something, we don't expect results. A lot of us, when we're speaking, we don't expect it to actually go out and do something. But God said, every time I speak, every time I put my word out there, I'm expecting it to do something for me. Okay? He said that uh, my words will never pass away. Heaven will pass away. Earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. That's amazing. 
That's amazing thing. His word will never go away. What he has spoken here, what he's speaking in your life, the only reason it doesn't come to pass is on us. It's our responsibility. And so um, we've, we have a responsibility to keep this word and to live by it. Obeying God's word empowers your words. Go to Matthew chapter 13. I want to start there. If you're following along in, in the YouVersion app or using one of those devices, I'm, I'm going to kind of go down a little bit before I go back up to the verses that as I originally outlined. But I want to start with Matthew chapter 13. In prayer this morning, when we were here praying, I um, God started to show me something here with this passage, and so I wanted to go this route instead. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, actually at the beginning of the chapter, this is, again, the parable of the sower. And you hear me talk about this a lot. It's one of my favorite parables there is because it talks about the gospel of the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, he is giving the parable of the sower, and he says that a sower goes out to sow. He's planting, he's, he's throwing seed, and it lands in four different areas, four different types of uh, soil, four different types of environments. The first one landed by the wayside, and uh, any farmer can tell you that if you throw seed out on the concrete out there, it ain't doing nothing. It, it, it can't even go down. It can't even get into a soil and, and begin to grow. And then we know that the seed ended up over on some soil, but it, it didn't take root. It, it wasn't able to get down in there and actually take root in the soil. Then we saw another one where the, it, the, the seed went down and it started to uh, come up, but it got choked out by thorns and stuff that was around it. And so it uh, hindered growth. It started to go, but then it got hindered there. And then we saw that there was some soil that landed on good soil, or the seed landed on good soil. That's where we want to be, amen? Good soil. So I have to ask you a question. Did the seed have the potential all four times to grow, to bear fruit, to become a big, massive tree? Absolutely, or whatever the seed was. But if it was an apple tree seed, and then it is destined to grow into a large tree that will bear apples. Very simple, okay? But it wasn't the issue of the seed. It was the issue of the soil. It was where it landed. It was where it was placed. And that's what I call the environment. That's what I call the environment. Well, Jesus explains this parable in verse 18. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his where? Heart. Okay, sown in his heart. The first thing I want you to understand, uh, in, over in Mark, um, Jesus gives the, it's the same account of the parable. But he makes a statement over in Mark. I wish I would have used Mark. But he says this. He says, the sower sows the word. So the first thing you got to understand is the seed that's being sown is the word of God. This right here. This is what he's sowing. Okay. So right now, I'm throwing seed out. Just to let you know, I'm throwing seed. And what I'm throwing out is powerful. The seed contains the power. You can't deny that. There's no bad seed. This is all good seed, okay? Continue on in verse 19. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. The one that received by the wayside was the one that heard the word of the kingdom, but did not understand it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The wicked one, the evil one, Satan comes, he's a thief, and he comes, he's not trying to steal you, he's trying to steal the word that's in you. He's trying to steal the word that I'm sowing right now. Okay? Verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So the seed went down in. It found its way down in there, but he had no root in himself, and he only endured for a while. When tribulation and persecution arose uh, because of the word, immediately he stumbled. So now we got the one where 
you receive the word, you're here and you're hearing it, and it's like, wow, yeah, that, that's good, I received that. But then you get out there and somebody persecutes you because of the word and says, no, that's not true, or, oh, you're a Christian, or you went to church. You, and so tomorrow morning, you're thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't true. And so now it does nothing. The word is, it, it's, it's unfruitful, okay? No, nothing is growing from that seed. Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becomes, he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So let's look at a few things. First of all, we see that the word has to be placed somewhere. This is what I call the environment. The seed has an environment. Fish have an environment. You have to have an environment. Sometimes we just look at the word and we say, oh yeah, we think so thankful for the power of the word. But if you don't take the word and put it in the right environment, it will do nothing. You take the seed out of the ground, it will do nothing. If you put the seed in the wrong kind of ground, it will do nothing. If you put the seed in the ground and then don't keep the environment the way it needs to be, keep it watered, keep it with sunlight, keep nurturing it, then it's not going to do anything in your life. Not on the fault of the seed, on the fault of the soil, and on the fault of the one taking care of the seed. Do we see this? So whose responsibility is it? It's not Jesus's anymore. It's not Jesus' responsibility to make the word powerful in your life. It is powerful. That's why I said the title of this message is not the power in words. It's the words in power. How do we get our words in the right environment to be powerful, to make power available? Where the word of the king is, there is power. The king's word has power. The seed contains power. But it's meant to live inside of something. And we saw there in the first verse that he said that it was sown in the heart. Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, it's a popular verse. David said, your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. That I might not sin against you. We know that sin... The wages of sin is death, separation. Death is the result of disobeying God. Every time we sin, death enters. So how do we get away from that? Getting in the word and getting the word in us. Get the word in the right environment. David said, I've hid your word. Well, that's interesting because the first thing that we saw in the passage of the parable of the sower was that the enemy came and stole it. Why do we take valuable things in our house and hide them? Wouldn't the house be safe enough already? But no, we put those things in case someone came in the house and we hide them so they're not easily found by someone that might try to steal them. What you hide is not easily taken away. What you put away and what you secure, what you lock down, but you know you're not locking down things that aren't valuable. You're locking down valuable stuff, priceless stuff, stuff that means something to you. So what David is saying here is your words are so valuable to me that I'm going to hide them away because if someone tries to come and take them from me, they will not find them. That's why they are hidden. So we see, first of all, that there is a place to put. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. His son Solomon says something along the same lines. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. What's he saying? You need to put the word in the right environment. I'm going to tell you right now, get this, your head is not the right environment for the word. 
Your head is not the right environment for your work, for the words of God. If you're only trying to get head knowledge, if you're only here this morning to get head knowledge, if you're only reading this so you can try to know something more than somebody else, it's not going to work for you. It will be snatched away. It's funny because the only place the enemy has access to in your life is your head. It's your mind. You know why people are sick? Is because in their mind, they don't see a way past the sickness. The enemy doesn't even have authority over your flesh. That's already been taken away. But sick people think sick because the second you start thinking healing, then your body has to realign. That's all there is to it. So your head is not the right environment because that is the wayside. That is where the enemy can come and snatch it. What I'm, what I'm saying right now, when you read this, do not just get it stuck here. You have to get it here. Well, anybody who plants or gardens or farms, they can tell you that there's a little more work to getting a seed down in the right soil. There's a little more to it than just throwing it out there. You ever work the ground? You have to till that thing. You want to get good soil. Do you have to water it? You have to make sure it gets sunlight. There's work to get it in the right environment. That's called meditating. That's why he said, do not let it depart from your eyes. Keep it in front of you. What's he saying? Give attention to it. If you don't give attention to your garden, it will grow you nothing. If you don't constantly and consistently give it attention, give it what it needs. Give the word what it needs. And I'm telling you right now, Sunday morning and Wednesday night is not what it needs. I wish it was. I wish it was. I wish that just you being here this morning and maybe coming on Wednesday night, maybe that would be good enough. But it's not. I'll just go ahead and tell you. It's work. It's work. People that see the fruit of the word in their lives are the ones that stay in it on a daily basis and keep it in front of them. You got to give it the right environment. If you take the word out of the environment, it dies. If you take the fish out of the water, it dies. If you take the seed out of the ground, it dies. Period. You have to keep it in the right environment. So we have to, he says, to keep it in the midst of your heart. They are life to those who find them. The word is life. The word is life. And that's not a variable. There's nothing that can change that. The word is life, is life, always will be life. Well, it ain't producing life in me. Well, maybe we don't have it in the right environment. Maybe we don't have it in the right environment. So we have to, the, the word has to be placed somewhere. And we've got to be watching what is that environment. Because I'm tell you right now, the enemy is not after you. He's after the word. The only thing that makes you powerful is God's word. In fact, you are more good to him without the word than dead. We think, oh, he's trying to steal my life. He's trying to take my life. The life he's trying to steal is the life of the word. Notice, there in the parable of the sower, he, was, he wasn't trying to burn the field. He was trying to take the seed. He's trying to snatch away what I'm saying to you right now. He wants it. Now, the Bible is very, Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, is very specific on what type of word. It says the gospel of the kingdom. That's why the kingdom message has completely transformed my life because I finally realized what the devil's going so hard after. Because there's a lot of churches right now that are preaching all kinds of different things and the devil doesn't care. In fact, he's excited. He's excited that they're preaching what they're preaching. He's excited that they're not trying to find more truth. He's, exci he's excited that they're staying on the surface. And as long as they stay there, he's saying, you're working for me. Now, it may be truth. There may be some truth to it. 
but the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached, then the end will come. Satan knows there's only one thing that's going to get him out. Satan knows the end will only come if the gospel of the kingdom is preached. The gospel of the kingdom. Not just any gospel. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said that uh, we, we're, we're supposed to be united. Come, we're supposed to be made mature as a church so we're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. Notice it does not say every wind of false doctrine. There's some doctrine out there that although it may not be false, it's not the whole truth. And Paul said, I, I, I thank God that I didn't keep from giving you the whole counsel of God's word. The whole counsel. We'll preach the whole counsel of the word. Because if we aren't, then we're throwing out doctrine, and you can be blown around by that, blown around by the wind of every doctrine. There's a lot of doctrine, even in denominations, even in the Christian church. There's a lot of doctrines that aren't this, the word of God. This is what we have to adhere to, and we have to get it in the right environment. Look at John chapter 10. We're talking about the environment of the word. John chapter 10. Verse 5, Jesus is speaking of the shepherd and the sheep, and he says, Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. He goes on to say that the voice of the shepherd they will follow. In our nation, in our culture right now, lies are being told at an unbelievable rate to where we don't even know truth anymore. We don't even recognize truth. We actually believe what we see on TV. We actually believe what we see on the internet. We actually believe what people tell us at work. We actually believe that stuff to where we don't even recognize the truth. You understand that by the time it gets to your television set and broadcasted across to your eyes and to your ears, it's already been so twisted and perverted and yanked around and, and run through the ringer that by the time it gets to you, but we don't know what truth looks like anymore. You can't even recognize it. We have to get in the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the word. His word is truth. When you get in here and you learn what truth looks like, then you'll begin to identify lies and say, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. We, we, God doesn't accept homosexuality. That's not a true statement. That's not truth. That's a lie. There's only, it's black and white. Truth, lie. It's either a truth or it's a lie. Does it line up with this? But since no one's going back to this, then we accept it all as truth. Because what does truth look like? Remember, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? Everybody wants to know what truth is, but we've accepted so many substitutes for the truth. Now, as a church, we have a responsibility to go with the truth. But the reason the church isn't going with the truth anymore is because they're not creating an environment for the truth. We go to church on Sunday, maybe go on Wednesday, hear a, a sermon real quick, and we're in, in the middle of the sermon, we're thinking about the buffet afterwards. Throughout the week, we get bogged down by work and by everything that comes against us, trials and tribulations and, and all the hard press and stuff, and hopefully we can make it to the following Sunday, and that's church for everybody. That's not the environment for the Word of God. And so we're seeing an entire nation fall away. Because the church doesn't stay in the environment for the word, doesn't create an environment for the word to where we can stand up and say, no, I'm going to side with the word of God. Let me tell you what it says because I know it, because it's been planted within me and my life is bearing fruit of it. Nobody's believing Christians anymore because Christians aren't even bearing fruit of the word because they haven't created the environment for the seed to go in to bear fruit. And so we look just like the rest of the world barren wastelands of dirt with seed that goes in but never comes out because it gets choked out 
because it falls on the wrong soil or because the, the ground's not tilled enough that it can take root. Every flower, every uh, garden, every tree, everything that is yielding fruit, it has a root in something. And when you have a root, you can't be blown around by every wind. You know why those trees aren't being yanked up out of the ground right now when the wind goes? It's rooted. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. Let me make this point on John chapter 10, verse 5. They will not follow a stranger. The best way to get acquainted with God, everyone wants to know God. Everyone wants to get close to God. Everyone wants to, to, to be buddy-buddy with God. The best way to get acquainted with God is to get acquainted with his word. You want to get to know God? Get to know his word. Last week we preached the message that the one are one and the same. Because God is identified by his word. God and his word are one. They're the same. When you talk about God, say the same thing about his word. God is love. His word is love. God is a God of peace. His word is peace. God and his word are the same. That's why he adheres to it so much. That's why he doesn't break his word because he realizes if I break my word, then I'm movable. I'm someone that can be shifted. I'm someone that can be changed. But I'm a God that I do not change. That's why he values that. That's why he honors that. Now, here's the other thing about getting acquainted with God's word. When you get to know God's word, then you'll begin to recognize his voice. You'll begin to recognize his voice. A lot of us don't recognize God's voice because we don't, we're not in this enough to know what it sounds like. I mean, us as parents, you know that your children know your voice. Why? Because they've been in the environment of your home, an environment being around you, and a million different people could call their name, but when you call their name, it's a different response. It's a different response. Why? Because they've been around that voice and they've gotten to know that voice and they recognize recognize that voice. They recognize the voice. Right now, we recognize a whole lot of other voices than God's voice. And we've got to come back to recognizing his voice. Philippians chapter 2. We're creating an environment. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Did you know that even Jesus had to obey? Even Jesus had to obey and bring himself to obedience. Why? That's the only way his life was going to be fulfilled. That's the only way he was going to answer his purpose and his call was by being obedient to his father who sent him. Why did Jesus say so much? I don't do uh, anything that I want to do. I'm here on his initiative, the one who sent me. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he said. He said, I don't say what I want to say. I don't even go where I want to go. You're thinking Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, didn't even, he didn't have his own will, his own initiative. He got in the garden right before he's about to go to the cross, and he said, Father, not my will, your will. Well, Jesus didn't have a will. I mean, he just had to do it. Really? Tell him that in the garden when he's thinking about everything he's about to go through. And he says, not my will. Apparently, he had a will. Over in John chapter 5, he said, I don't do my own will. That tells us he had, a, he had his own will. Jesus was just like you and I. He was 100% flesh. He had a will. 
He had a desire. He had want-tos, but he put them all down for the king, for the father. And so he said there, this verse says that he humbled himself. He became obedient. Obedient. Did Jesus' words have power? Absolutely. Did he cast out demons with his words? Yes. Did he stop storms with his words? Yes. Did he tell sickness to go with his words? I mean, he even had a centurion come out and recognize, man, your words are so powerful. You don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Well, why were his words so powerful? Why did he operate with so much authority? Because he was Jesus Christ, the the son of the living God. He, He was God himself, just wrapped in flesh. No, it's because he was obedient to his father. Therefore, he was able to operate in that authority. Because I can tell you right now, if Jesus had disobeyed his father even once, he would have lost all the authority in his words. Thank God he did it. Thank God he obeyed. Watch what happened because he was obedient. Verse 8, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that then at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what his obedience brought. An obedient life will always lead to a fulfilled life. An obedient life will always lead to a fulfilled life. And so that's why when Jesus got up and and, and got up in the temple and started reading scripture, he wasn't the first one that did that. They had people, they had scribes, they had Pharisees, they had Sadducees that got up all the time and did that. Big deal. Someone else is standing at the podium reading scripture to us. Out of Isaiah. And he stands up and everyone is in awe. Their jaws drop to the floor. And they're saying, who is this? Not because he did a sign. Not because he healed anybody. Not because he cast a demon out. Not because he was glowing or had a halo above his head. They said, this man speaks with power and with authority. But he gave away the secret. It's not a secret. Well, how did Jesus do that and nobody else could? It's not a secret. He spent time in his father's word. And he was obedient. He shut down disobedience in his life and says, if I'm going to do anything on this earth, if I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, if I'm going to bring power in my words, then I'm going to have to obey his words. And that's all there is to it. And so that was Jesus. Well, that's the example That we have. Look at uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. If you abide. That word abide, that means continue. The King James Version actually says, If you continue in my words. If you continue in my words. That means not depart. Do not depart from the words. That means to stand, and it means to remain in. There's a a continual positioning and keeping the word in the right environment. Abide. It doesn't say if you glance over my words, if you happen to hear my words. It says if you abide, if you stand in, if you remain in, if you continue in, if you do not depart from my words. Then you're my disciples. Now, Jesus commissioned us in Mark chapter 16, Matthew chapter 28, and he said, go and make you therefore disciples. Disciples. 
people that will continue and remain and abide and will not depart from my words. That's what we're supposed to be reproducing is people that will live in. That's what that word, how many of you abide in Valdosta, Georgia? This is where you live. This is where you reside. This is your home. Make your home in God's word. You go there almost every single day of your life. And you live there. And you eat there. That's your environment. How many of you just happen to go to your house maybe once a week or every now and then, or maybe once a month? No. You live there. You're there every day. That's where you're there the most, hopefully. Some of us that have jobs that require a lot of us, we seem like we're ever, hardly ever home. I know how that was. I was in that boat. I worked two jobs. I got up. I left the house at, at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I'd go work out, and then I'd go to one job, get off of that job, go straight to another job, and get home about 11, 12 o'clock at night. And it seemed like, oh, I'm never here, paying all this money for this house and all these nice things for this nice TV, and I can't even watch it. I don't even get to sit in front of it. Yeah, I know how that is. I was there. But that's your home. That's your environment. That's where you abide. If anyone asks you, where do you live? You don't give them the address for your work. Even though you might feel you live there, you don't give them that address. What's on your driver's license? Where you live. I don't know. I've never tried that to actually on my driver. Well, you know what? I'm at work about 12 hours a day, so I'm going to put my work address. I'm putting that down. No, you have your home address. So if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. So a disciple is recognized as someone that is uh, keeps his environment in the word of God. Amen. John chapter 14. This is getting real now. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. His commandments is his word. If you love me. Now we're getting real deep. Because how dare Jesus bring into question my love for him. But that's what he says. If you love me, the greatest sign of love, the greatest way to show love is to obey. Parents, the greatest way your children can show you that they love you is to obey you. And that's what I tell children. We told them that in children's ministry. If you disobey your parents, you're telling them that you don't love them. I'm not saying you don't, but that's what you're saying by your actions and by what you're doing. You're saying, Mom and Dad, I don't love you, and I don't care what you tell me to do. I'm going to do my thing. No, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, that's deeper. That's as deep as you can go. Now we're talking about love. Notice this. The greatest way to show God, it doesn't say, if you love me, worship me. It doesn't say, if you love me, praise me, tell people about me. If you love me, go to church. That's not what he says. He says, if you love me, do what I tell you to do. Follow my commands because my commands are life. My commands are love. I mean, parents, you don't want, you don't want your uh, kids to just come to you and say, oh, I love you. You're the, you're the most awesome person on the planet. I'm so thankful that, that you're my mom and dad. I, I'm so thankful that God gave me you as parents and then have them go off and do whatever they want to do. What are you going to say? If you love me, do what I'm telling you to do. And so we come to church. God, I love you. We praise and we worship him. God, I love you. We tell other people about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's, he's so awesome. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. And then we don't obey him. Now, praising and worshiping him, that's obeying him. Going to church, that's the command. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. 
go to church. That's in obedience. Witness and tell other people about what God has done. That is in obedience. But you can't go out and do what you want to do. Well, God, I, I went to church this week. God, I mean, I, I sang the praise and worship songs, and, you know, I, I told you thank you on Thanksgiving, and I, you know, I told you how awesome you are, and I even talked to a couple of people at work about how awesome you are and things that you've done in my life. And they're saying, yeah, but I asked you to do this, and you wouldn't do it. The greatest form of love, the greatest way to show someone you love them is through obedience. Remember what he told King Saul? King Saul went in, and he was told to annihilate everybody, all the Amalekites. Destroy them all. Every child, every baby, every animal. Destroy the fields. Destroy the king. Destroy all the women. Everybody. Do not leave anything alive. Sounds like a harsh command. And King Saul goes in there, and he leaves some servants alive. He left the king alive. He took some of the best animals. And then he told Samuel, when Samuel came back, he said, what's all that noise? What, what, what's all these animals making all this noise? He said, oh, well, we kept back some of the, the good stuff to sacrifice to God. And what did Samuel say? Do you not know that obedience is better than sacrifice. He said, the sacrifice I wanted was you to sacrifice yourself and your will and what you want to do and how you think we should do this. I wanted you to shut all that down and just do it the way I tell you to do it. That would have been the sacrifice I was looking for. Obedience. God didn't come back and say, oh, yeah, why didn't I think about that? Why didn't we think about sacrificing those animals instead of just killing them all? Why didn't we think about keeping the, the, the best stuff? Oh, that's silly, silly me. King Saul, you're the man. That's, that's why you're king. You know what you're doing. No. And he told him that day, the kingdom has been ripped from you. You're no longer king of Israel. You're no longer king of my people. Why? Because I gave my word. And I honor my word. And I value my word. To the point that I don't even break my own word. When I say something, I have to adhere to it. So when I say something to you, you better do it. And you better do it the way I said. Don't give an opinion and don't give me your way of doing it. Well, I think we could tweak this. And He's not looking for that. He's saying just do what I tell you to do. Because I'm the king. Because I'm your father. And I have your interests at heart. And you don't even know it. So what's he saying? He's saying obedience. That shows me that you love me. Obedience. And how do you obey? Putting it here. In your heart. Look at this in John chapter 15. This is a little harder message for Thanksgiving. I probably should have waited a couple weeks. Uh, you guys are all stuffed up on that turkey. So I hope it's getting through. You guys might need to. Listen to this tomorrow or something. <clears throat> Get it again. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's interesting to note that you get cut either way. So I'd rather get stuff cut off of me than get cut off. <laughs> yeah? Okay. If the cutting's coming, uh, I want to I remain. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here we go. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me. Remain in me. Live in me. Continue in me. What does that mean? He's saying live with him for the rest of your life? No. Remember John chapter 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then we skip all the way down to verse 14. Then the, he sent his word and the word became flesh, Jesus. So when Jesus says abide in me, he's saying abide in the word. Continue in the word. Remain in the word. Do not depart from the word. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself 
unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Environment. If you cut that limb off the tree, it dies. When you separate it, that's what death is. Death is separation. When you bring death to it by separating it, it dies. And it will not be fruitful. That's why cutting stuff off of our life is so important. There's things that are attached to our lives that need to be cut off because as long as it's attached to you, you're giving life to it. And it's taking life from you. Are we giving life to dead things? Are we giving life? Are we continuing to be a source of life to things that should be dead and cut away and not a part of us? I hope not. Every day, I want God to reveal to me what needs to be cut off. What is attached to my life that is sucking life out of me where I should be giving life somewhere else? I need to bring death to that. Sometimes death is a good thing. Sometimes death, death is what's needed. I mean, you ask a farmer that pruning is necessary. Brent, is pruning necessary? You have to go out there and you have to find, okay, that thing's dead. And if, I don't, if I'm not careful, that thing will infect the whole thing and kill the whole thing. When, you know, if you have like, you know, an ailment in your body where something's infected, they try to go out and get it. Why? Because it's sucking life from your body and it will infect the whole thing. So it would be better to lose that thing than to keep it and the whole thing dies. We see that. So there's, there's pruning, there's separation that needs to take place. But he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. The branch has an environment that it needs to be attached to. It has to remain in. There's an environment that's got to be around. And if you're not around the environment, it will die. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. When, when you're in life and surrounded by life, then you're giving life. You become a life giver, bearing fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without the word, you can do nothing. You die without the word. You die without the word. It's like pulling a fish out of water. It will die. I heard one person tell a story, you know, he went, he went fishing off a pier, and, and it was, I think it was up in the Carolinas somewhere, and, and, you know, people, sometimes they'd catch some sharks. You know, sharks are a fearful beast. You don't want to be in the water around a shark. But, man, they pulled the shark up, and it was up on the pier, and it's just flopping. And he's thinking, wow, outside of its environment, not very scary. Why? It's not in its environment. It's not in the atmosphere it's been given to survive and thrive and live in. We've got some Christians that are fish out of water. They're in the wrong environment. That's all there is to it. And you can't survive there. You can't thrive there. You've, the, the word is doing nothing in their lives because they haven't put the word where it belongs. I don't know about you. I, I, I don't want to just read this thing just to say I read it. I've read this thing every year. I've read this entire book six times over the last six years, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. And I don't do that just to say I read it six times in the last six years, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. I want results. If he sent this word, and says, it will not return back to me void, then I want it to produce what he sent it to do. And that's not to say, that's not bragging. I am excited to say that, because this thing is producing in my life 
Not because I'm a pastor, not because I went to Bible school, not because I hung around a few Christian people and call myself a Christian. It, res- it provides results in my life because I put it in the environment it belongs in. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Results. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The Father is not glorified that you have a lot of seed in your hand. He's glorified that you have taken the seed, put it in good soil, and you have reaped the crop. That brings satisfaction. So you will be my disciples. Skip on down to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He said it. How do I know God loves me? Because I keep his commandments. How do I know, how do I, know I love him? Because I keep his commandments. And so everywhere Jesus went, his words became power. Because he put the words in powerful places. The Bible said that he'd get up early in the morning. He said he would rise uh, long before the day would start. And some of them back then, they got up at 5 o'clock in the morning to start their day. So you're talking 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning just to talk to his father. Getting up and spending time with his father. He recognized his voice. He recognized his father's voice. You Recognition, I, I used to have one of those phones. You know, now, you know, the iPhone, you can talk to it and all that stuff, and, and you don't have to program it or anything. But I used to have one of those phones when voice recognition first came out, and you had to, like, say statements like three or four times for it to recognize and learn your voice. So it would know that it's you. Voice recognition. What, how does that come? Because a pattern of hearing his voice. It says, a stranger they will not follow. You know, I'm afraid that verse has been a lot flip-flopped for a lot of Christians. Where we know all the stranger's voices, but we don't know the shepherd's voice. If you continue in the word, you'll become familiar. Look, we just spent a a, a day uh, eating a lot of food a few days ago. If you're like me, you had several. Forget seconds. We're past seconds. We're on to thirds and and fourths. I'm up at 11 o'clock watching the Patriots stomp the Jets, and I've got stuff in my face with more turkey and ham, man. I mean, we're just loaded. but I can't give that same attention to feeding this? It says, my commands are life to you. Life. What's the opposite of life? Death. Man, many of us, we don't go longer than two or three hours before we start thinking of what we're going to eat again in the natural. But we go weeks without ever feeding this on the inside. And then when battles and struggles and things start taking place in our life, we're wondering why we're not strong enough to take it on or why we got nothing left in the tank. You know all those football players and all the the college and pro games that just took place over the last couple days, they didn't starve themselves all week long. No, they're on regular diet that they are very strict to because when it comes game time, You don't want to show up and be one that, well, coach, I didn't eat nothing today. Uh, Man, third quarter, I don't know if I can go back out there, man. 
I just want this game to end. Boy, you ain't making a team if you ain't eating. That's all there is to it. And they feed them well. I've seen some of those pregame meals. They're eating. Why? So they have sustenance to take on what's about to come. Well, you're in a battle. The Bible says that we're to fight the good fight of faith. We're to, we're to fight the, the good fight. What fight are we fighting? Are we fighting? Are we showing up with our hands on our knees saying, really wish I would have eaten. Really wish I would have gotten something in me earlier. I, I don't, man, I, I don't need to sit down. And then the devil ain't got to do nothing. Yeah, ain't got to do nothing. That's exactly what I just said. <clears throat> I'm from Texas. We don't talk right either. He's, he, there's nothing he even needs to do. We defeat ourselves. Because we're showing up with nothing in the tank. Well, we've got to get in the word, amen? We've got to get the word in the right environment. The word never fails because it's not powerful. Which tells us this, that we have every resource at our disposal to win every time. To overcome every time. The Bible says the one who endures to the end. I want to be one of those that endures to the end. I don't want, I don't want to be one of those that you know someone else is dragging me across the line. Come on. Well, at least you made it across the line. No, I want to endure to the end. So whatever he says to do, I'm going to find myself to do it. And I'm going to place it. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to stash it in my heart. That I might not sin. That I might not disobey. Because my obedience to his word is the key to others obeying my word. We've said it a million times. You have no authority with no submission. No submission equals no authority. Adam and Eve lost everything in the garden because they didn't submit. King Saul lost an entire kingdom because he wouldn't submit. Our submission to his word is the only thing that's going to make your word powerful. And so we're over here, Father, I, I need your help with my finances. My finances are struggling. I just can't seem to make it just every Every week, I just seem to have nothing left. Every month, I'm just barely making it. And he's saying, okay, well, obey me in this. No authority. Satan, get your hands off my finances. And he's standing there. You can't do nothing to me. You're not even listening to the one who you're in control over. So why, what do you, makes you think you have control over me? I rebuke that sickness. It has to go in Jesus' name. It ain't going anywhere. Because you ain't lined up with the king. They don't preach this stuff anymore. They just smile at you and say, you have victory. You're an overcomer. You ain't an overcomer if you ain't obeying. And we can preach victory all we want Sunday morning, but tomorrow morning you're going to go to your job and you're going to go to your home and you're going to go uh, and, and you haven't been the right husband or wife or you haven't been the right employer or employee or you haven't been aligning yourself with the word in some areas. You ain't overcoming preach victory all we want. God's a good God. He sure is. And every command he gives is good. And if you live by it, you'll, you'll walk in everything he's got for you. So we've got to follow the word. We've got to put the word in the right environment so it will grow, produce, yield a crop. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I thank you that this sinks down into good soil. We're not going to be bad soil this morning. We're good soil. We're not soil that it can't take root. We're not soil that uh, it, it, it takes no effect and it produces no harvest, Father. This is soil that you have called us to be so that when your word gets planted into it, it produces a crop. We don't want to get cut off, but we would rather have things cut off of our lives so we can produce the greatest crop that you want. Father, we thank you that we begin from this day forward, right now,
We're not even going to wait till January 1st to make a new resolution to come to church more, or be in the Bible more, or read more, or pray more. We're going to do it today, November 25th. This is resolution day for us right here. And we resolve today within us that we are going to live by your word, that we're going to apply your word, that we're going to take your word and we're going to plant it into good soil, meditate it on a day and night. Daily, we're going to keep the word in front of us, not just on Sundays, not just waiting for Wednesday night to come because that's when I open my Bible again. No, we're going to open it daily. We're going to make time for it. We are not going to be held down. We're not going to have our agendas dictate our lives. Well, I got too busy or I'm busy doing this or I didn't wake up early enough or I'm just too tired. No, we'll shut all that down because your word is the most valuable thing that we have in our lives. And without it, we've got nothing. Without it, we are nothing. So, Father, I thank you that we take value, we take honor. When we honor your word, 